Well, hey everybody, Jonathan with you once again. Welcome to this uh, short little audio video, wherever you're going to be hearing or seeing this, welcome aboard. Uh, we're in the midst of more COVID craziness at the moment, so I hope wherever you're hearing this or seeing this, you're doing okay. Interesting times, huh? But I, um, Karen and I have been talking a lot recently and, you know, when things become unstable, when the world around us seems so uncertain, I think that it is our faith that really draws us or calls us more deeply into relationship with Christ. I think, uh, you know, you realize that there's only so much you can control, huh? We were talking at dinner last night with the family, and uh, I made the point that, you know, since the Second World War, we've lived in an unprecedented era of safety and relative peace. You know, we had the, I guess we had the Vietnam War, we had the Korean War first. There's definitely been conflicts and challenges and problems in that sort of 80-plus year period. But, you know... Instability, challenge, difficulty, suffering are kind of much more the fabric of human experience than uh, the last 80 years or so have maybe led us to believe. So I think it is a time where there's uh, some challenges, there's some testing for all of us. And I just want to say before I begin, the what I really want to talk about in this message is that it's our faith that really is the invitation, I think. It's kind of the thing that's going to draw us more deeply to navigate this difficult and challenging season. So for myself, my, my prayer life has always been pretty solid, but I've noticed that it's become deeper and stronger because I think I've got to the point where I just realized that there are so many things happening, so many forces beyond my control that dependence on Christ is is really the option that I'm going towards, you know, on a daily basis. So listen, what I wanted to talk about today is something that I've probably wanted to talk about for the last 20 years and have never really done it for a bunch of reasons. And I think it's time that I did. So why and what am I going to be talking about? I guess, look, the, the topic I want to discuss is the role of teachers in Catholic schools who are fundamentally opposed to the teachings of the church, to the purpose of Catholic education. I guess I'm talking about teachers who really think it's some kind of mission of theirs to undermine and to subvert the the teachings of the Catholic faith and to take a role to themselves, which I think is very prideful and problematic. So I want to flesh that out for you in a, in a little bit. And it's come to a head for us as a family, and I want to talk about that. What's kind of really pushed me into talking about this was we were recently, we had a, a break, a short break in between lockdowns, and I was running half marathons. I was sort of running one a half marathon each day. And one particular day, I was listening to a priest speaking at Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio. He was talking about the rosary. Now, the rosary has been a big part of my life uh, in recent years, more so than ever at the moment. But uh, I listened to this fascinating historical um, exposition of the rosary. And it was really good. He's written a new book on it, and uh, I'll try and link to that if I can remember in the show notes. But there was a point about 25 minutes, half an hour in, where he was talking about a Dominican academic in about the 14th century. Now, remember, the Dominicans have a really strong relationship with the rosary. You know, St. Dominic, of course, uh, had a deep Marian devotion. And this intellectual was going through kind of the historical background for the rosary and and really not getting it, not so much a big fan of the rosary, but just doing the academic work. And uh, the story the priest told was that this 
uh, Dominican academic had a kind of revelation. He's praying and studying and reading about the rosary. And then at some point, Christ himself appears to him. And this is where it gets really interesting. I don't know about you, but Christ hasn't uh, appeared to me in physical form yet. But, uh, you know, it's a great thing about our Catholic faith is that we have these wonderful stories from tradition. And so Christ appears to this Dominican and says to him these very challenging words. Now, the, the, the context of this is that the Dominicans are often called the dogs of God. They were, uh, there's a long history to that sort of, there was a, a kind of identity applied to them in terms of they would bark and, uh, and, and you know, alert people to the challenges around them. So Jesus appears to this Dominican who's not really getting the whole rosary thing and says these words. He says, the world is full of ravenous wolves and you, O dog, will not bark. The world is full of ravenous wolves, and you, O dog, will not bark. And I realized that I'd spent, you know, I was really challenged because it just came out. I was running, doing laps, and I'm just like hearing this thinking, I think that I've lived for a very long time trying to do the weaker aspect of St. Paul's all things to all people. I think I've wanted to try and bring everybody with me and encourage everybody, and my approach has been, if I can just present the church's understanding on particular topics in a compelling way that's authentic, then maybe I will help people, you know, relook at how they're doing things and maybe go deeper into their faith. And look, I think I probably had some effect or God had some effect through me doing that. But I think we're getting to a place where what I feel is more appropriate is that, uh, you know, I just be more honest about what I actually think is happening in education and two points on that. First, to be orthodox and to be conservative, right? Uh, pretty much these days, if you use those terms, you don't use them in polite conversation. It's great to be progressive, right? Apparently, that if you're progressive, that's great, whatever that actually means. I mean, you can progress straight off the edge of a cliff, right? So if we're going to be progressive, well, you know... I guess what I'm saying is that it's it's fine to be progressive, but if you tell somebody you're a conservative, well, you know, automatically you can see how that's been culturally conditioned, right? That if you're conservative, that you're uh, you're obviously, you know, some kind of, you know, I don't know, retrograde, troglodyte, luddite. Look those up. So last night, my daughter and I were talking after dinner, and uh, I made the point. I said, "Well, what do you think conservative is?" And we talked about it, and I, I made the point to her that. Being a conservative means that you think there's some things worth conserving. You know, that's what being conservative is, right? To be conservative means that you believe, I believe, that there are some things worth conserving. Like what? Well, like the beauty of the liturgy, the beauty of marriage and family, um, the authentic teaching of the faith. I think these things are worth conserving. And I talked to my daughter about you know, Chesterton's great concept of the democracy of the dead. That's really impacted me for many years. Chesterton's idea of the democracy of the dead was that uh, we shouldn't just get a vote on things just because we're walking around. He said, why shouldn't dead people get a vote? Which means what? It means all the great men and women that came before us who have lived the faith, taught the faith, suffered for the faith, maybe they get a vote too. Maybe they get a vote in how things are done. It's always impacted me, you know. I think of the many great men and women who have lived the faith so beautifully and 
you know, as we just seem to ignore and reject so much of the richness of the faith, we forget that they get a vote too. So for me, being conservative means I genuinely think there's some things worth conserving. To be orthodox is, again, I think, seen as a negative thing. It's a pejorative comment. You know, if you hear somebody say, oh, well, you know, Jonathan's much too orthodox or, or Jonathan's very orthodox. You can't be very orthodox. You know, it's like being very unique. You can't be very unique. Being unique means you're one of a kind. You can't be very one of a kind. You can't be very orthodox. To be orthodox means that you hold to what the Catholic Church teaches is true, the apostolic faith. That's orthodox. So if you're not orthodox, then you obviously believe something else. Usually, you know, as Fulton Sheen would say, you, t you tend to end up, Augustine was big on this too, you, you kind of end up believing yourself. You end up believing yourself. And uh, I remember this priest once talked about the concept of docility to the magisterium. Docility means to be docile, to be receptive, to be open. And uh, I got a bunch of postgrad qualifications, but I just decided long ago that uh, I'm not Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> you know, I'm not since the Feast of St. Bonaventure today, and I'm not St. Bonaventure. I'm not smart as them. I'm not as smart as Teresa of Avila. So I put my faith, I have docility in their learning, in their wisdom, in the wisdom of the church fathers and the, the mothers of the desert. So for me to be orthodox and to be conservative means to put my intellect, my faith, my reason at the service of something beyond myself. And I'm happy with that. So I'm proud of being orthodox and I'm proud of being conservative. And if I never get, you know, booked to speak anywhere else again, well, that's fine. COVID's pretty much killed it anyway. So I'm just going to be honest. So you, O dog, will not bark really challenged me. And it challenged me to accept the truth of what I believe. And I want to talk just finally about how this dovetails with my experience of working with um, huge numbers of Catholic teachers around the world over many years. Firstly, I'd like to say that the experience of traveling and speaking in the United States so much has been extraordinary. And my take away has been that Catholic teachers in the United States tend to be quite wonderful. I know there's all sorts of exceptions and differences, but to be a Catholic teacher in the United States because of the separation of church and state means you usually take a pay cut to be a Catholic teacher in the US. And so there's a certain heroism in choosing a school and a school system that, you know, really aligns with your faith. Whereas here in Australia, you know, you can pay the most basic lip service to Catholicism and, you know, work in a Catholic school. Not only work in a Catholic school, but end up leading one. And you can get to the highest positions of authority and uh, and still, you know, really not be a person of deep Catholic faith. So, look, that's a very broad brush. I'm sure there's hundreds of exceptions. But basically what I've discovered over the years is in the Australian context, having spoken for years, is that at the end of speaking, you know, people would sort of surreptitiously come up towards me, at, you know, in the break and say, my gosh, you know, I've been here for 30 years and no one's ever said what you're saying. And then they disappear before someone saw them. So what's bugging me is the, the, the many teachers working in the Catholic system that fundamentally don't believe what the Catholic Church teaches. That'd be bad enough. But what's worse is deliberately undermining what the church teaches and kind of thinking that they're edgy and cool while doing it, that they're sort of some kind of counter missionaries that they're sort of there to help young people see what's really true so this comes to head for us we, you know we've got a bunch of kids and one of our kids at the school they're at 
we've now just multiple occasions of you know of this catholic school just presenting her with ideologies and concepts completely opposed to catholic teaching mostly around sexuality and stuff surprise surprise and you know we've been to see the principal and you know what you get so you'd be familiar with this most of the time what you get when you go to a catholic principal and you say look this is happening in the classroom this is completely inappropriate you get patted on the head right so oh this is terrible we look into this nothing ever happens they don't do anything they just don't do anything what most catholic education bureaucrats of this type want is for you just to go away they just want you to go away. They just want to pat you on the head and say, oh, this is terrible. This is, we're a Catholic school. We, we'll look into this for you. And, of course, we did that a few weeks ago, and then we're back again. My daughter comes home crying yesterday because of what she's been exposed to. You know, they're in a class, uh, in their English class, and they're doing a unit on difference. You know, call me crazy, but I'd like to think that in an English class you maybe did stuff like spelling, grammar, punctuation, Shakespeare, Jane Austen, uh, go figure, Dostoevsky, just maybe, you know, English, English literature. But no, we're going to do difference, aren't we, in English? And we're going to do difference for what reason? Well, basically because it's just Gramsci's long march through the institutions. We're going to very surreptitiously push a progressive agenda into every subject area. And we're going to make kids feel very strange and weird if they're not on board for it so i keep saying to my daughter that the way the reason they get away with it is because there's very little downside because if you push back against this you're basically a bigot or you're not being inclusive or you're putting young people at risk so yesterday you know my daughter you know is exposed to uh you know a whole bunch of stuff about dif difference is fine right whatever i mean you know it's a scientific principle there's a taxonomy of everything but the the PowerPoint slides that the teacher is using shows, you know, you know, gay pride marches, right? This is a Catholic high school. Sure, these, you know, do gay pride marches happen? Sure, of course they do. Um, but do we need, of all the possible images about difference we could have chosen, you know, it's not as if, you know, our kids aren't exposed to this everywhere else, but do they need to have this presented to them again in a Catholic context? And then there's a link at the end which takes them out to uh, a website which has a series from our local national broadcaster for my American um, listeners. It's basically worse than NPR. And it's a whole documentary series about difference. And in this series on difference, you know, there's, there's episodes about S&M, uh, sadism and masochism, basically sexual bondage practices. Um, there is a whole bunch of stuff, you know, at the start of each episode, there's, there's all these questions pop up on the screen about, you know, how do you know if you're a pervert? Um, you know, what if, what if I was raised gay? Just, just stuff like, you know, I'm not saying we put our head in the sand, but I'm going, what place does this have in a Catholic school? The Catholic church's teaching on human sexuality and relationships pretty clear, um, if you don't want to teach it, then maybe you tell your principal that you don't want to teach it. But to, to put this stuff into the curriculum, to kind of just constantly present this to our kids. I noticed the other thing she's constantly exposed to is um, any take on, you know, significant women uh, and the role of feminism is like constantly stuff from like, you know, the World Health Organization or the United Nations. You know, we're never going to present Maria Goretti. We're never going to present, you know, content about, you know, Mary. We're never going to present 
The Amazing Life of Therese of Lejeune. We're going to cherry pick a bunch of, you know, off the reservation, progressive, you know, female figures. And we're going to present these to our girls in a Catholic school and say, emulate them. Don't emulate holiness. Don't emulate purity. Don't emulate the incredible intellect of people like, you know, um, Catherine of Siena, Teresa of Avila. We're just going to give you a bunch of progressive icons because that's edgy and cool. And we're going to be relevant for young people. So whatever you think of this, whether you, you know, just don't send me the long email about, you know, I'm a bigot or something. I'm just so tired of having my kids in a Catholic school not getting a basically Catholic education. So what a Catholic education exists for, I want to give you a couple of main things. One is to, to, to subsidize the work of parents. You know, if every parent in, in a Catholic home could school their children effectively, then that'd be great. But assuming they can't because of, you know, economic realities, then Catholic schools emerged originally to serve the poor because the rich could afford self-education expenses. But Catholic schools emerged to serve the poor and then to subsidize the work of parents. So if you work in a Catholic school, your job is to subsidize the work of parents. That's what it is, right? It's a big part of it. I'm going to get a couple of other things as well. But if you are doing something in a Catholic school that an orthodox or conservative Catholic parent wouldn't like, then you're in the wrong job. Because Catholic parents like me want to send our kids to school believing that the teachers are going to, at worst, not talk about stuff you know, the Catholic stuff too much and let us get on with it and at least provide a high quality education on, in other areas. At best, we want Catholic teachers who love the faith and are desperate to help young people become saints. So if you're not interested in those kinds of things, then really after all these years, I truly think you're in the wrong job. And it would be good to have the integrity and the decency to do something else with your life rather than subvert the role of parents and, and, you know, denigrate and demean the you know, young people's right to know the truth of their Catholic faith. So, to all those Catholic teachers out there doing that, I just want to thank you. You're absolutely heroic. You're absolutely heroic. Because you're not only getting, you know, culturally stigmatized, but you're often in a classroom, the kids will push back so hard because they have such zero formation in the home. That as a Catholic teacher, if you present the most basic Catholic doctrines, you're seen as truly out of touch. I think there's a martyrdom in that. I think there's a genuine martyrdom. So from this, we go back to the principal again. We get another pat on the head. Then we'll go to the director of Catholic education. We'll get another pat on the head. Uh, the way this works is you've got to work up the chain and usually eventually, you know, the bishop refuses to see you because they're too busy and, uh, you know... So eventually you end up having to go to the nuncio. So as Catholic parents, you basically have to become, uh, you know, like one of those Old Testament prophets. You just keep having to annoy people and demand what's right until they want you to go away. So for any Catholic parents watching this, you know, <clears throat> be encouraged. I thought for ages I'd just let Karen deal with it. And then I was for ages I'd be like, you know, do I, you know, do we pull the kids out? Gosh, I don't know. One of our kids, you know, we, they go to a, a Christian school. We can't send them to a Catholic school. We're sending them to a Christian school because at least there we know we won't get too much subversive craziness. So, 
I just, you know, if I was a Catholic principal, if I was a Catholic teacher in a Catholic school at the moment, I'll be honest with you. I'd be waking up in the middle of the night. If I was a principal, sometimes I'd be going, you know what? I have responsibility for the souls of X number of students. Now, not the only responsibility. I'm not saying that you're utterly responsible for people's salvation. But what I am saying is that if you've been placed in a position of leadership in a Catholic school and the kids are leaving your school utterly faithless and even opposed to the Catholic faith, then what are you doing with your life, honestly? So, I hope you'll share this, some of you will share this with people. Because I would like to see Catholic education, you know, until we can sort this stuff out, maybe it's got to be a lot smaller and authentic and orthodox while we still can. You know, we need to wake up, right? I mean, here in Australia yesterday, the West Australian government, you know, now will no longer rent public premises, theatres, galleries, to groups that don't share the opinions of the West Australian government. Now, that's the actual language. You can look it up. And it happened because they didn't want to rent a facility to, uh, you know, a big Christian group. It's happening. It's happening now. So do we think that by being quiet about our faith, by, you know, not being orthodox, by not teaching the true faith and encouraging young people to be saints. Do you think this is all just going to go away? That that we're just going to be left alone? That Catholic education is going to be left alone? It's just not. So you get to a point in life where you just realize that you either stand up for what you truly believe and live it and teach it, even if it means suffering, or you go and do something else. At least then your conscience will be at ease. So that's it from me. For all those Catholic teachers out there that have listened to this today and have been blessed by it, God bless you. And I pray for you guys and I thank you for what you do and um, maybe reach out to me. You can get me there on Twitter at, uh, at JD Catholic. Uh, you can get me on the website at onecatholicteacher.com until it gets, you know, you had a Facebook group with almost 2,000 people, right? Woke up one day, Facebook just blocked it. There wasn't a single thing on it that anybody could have objected to and just gone. So... While you still can, you can find me there. Um, you can find me at onecatholicteacher.com. And this will be on podcast format as well. So just look for uh, Catholic Teacher Daily Podcast on any podcast app and you'll find it. God bless you people. Pray the rosary. Stay close to your faith. Practice the sacraments. We're all broken. We're all sinners. But let's try and become saints. Let's ask for the grace to become saints. God bless you, everybody. My name's Jonathan Doyle. I'm going to have another message for you very soon.